With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Whether you seek adventure, search for answers, break down barriers, or see the world for what it can be, you're just what we're looking for. CIA is searching for women of all skill sets to join the Directorate of Operations and help protect our nation. Visit cia.gov careers. Speak how you feel. I have no freedom. How do you feel? They can lie to my face, but not to my heart. If we all stand together, it will be a start. If the kids are united, they will never be divided. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are now floating in Screamer Selica. My name's Kevin Graham, and as usual on a Tuesday night, I'm joined by Boise. Boise, what's happening, mate? How we doing, Kev? I hope you can't hear my washing machine vibrating my full flat in the background there, no? No, no, can't hear your washing machine <laughs> at all, mate. Can't hear it at all. Uh, a joy to be back on Tuesday because I know we like to speak about an album. Yes, it's the Verve Reprise, eh? which is it's a very good title because the Verve reprised quite a lot of songs on their albums as well, eh? so I just found that, I thought that was an interesting eh, title, eh? The song that opened with you, um, that of Sham 69, what do you care about Sham 69? Uh, they sang a song that my dad used to always sing uh, when I was young, 
called Hurry Up Harry. Hurry Up Harry, aye. We're going down the pub. Come on, come on. It was, a, it was a song on a Yellow Case CD compilation album called The Greatest Punk Out Anthems of All Time. You know, one of those generic ones, you know what I mean? Um, but I always remember, that's why I don't know who Sham 69 are. But I know the song, If the Kids Are United, They Will Never Be Divided. That used to be a, a jukebox classic by the old, the older generation that were drinking the, in, in my boozer. Brilliant. The reason that I chose Sham 69 this week uh, was because there is a West Ham connection with, with them, eh? but I, I know like uh, the Courtney Rejects were the ICF's band, and but Sham 69 sort of got lumped in with that oi movement uh, because they were quite shy, shouty. Unfortunately for Sham 69, they attracted a lot of right-wing skinheads and racists to gigs, which was completely against the band's politics. And they, they eventually yep. had to they eventually had to stop playing live in 1979 wow. because of the violence at gigs, and it was just getting oh. far too much for them. Eh? Um, that song, that, that song, the kids are united. I remember getting the seven inch single, and it was my cousin gave me the seven inch single, and I used to bounce about the the bedroom with a tennis racket along here. Oh, eh? I just had that sort of, you get what I mean, uh, just that punching I say, and it was just great. And I had, the, I had the football terrace sort of shouting, like choruses and all that. A bit like Oasis, uh, a bit like Oasis took over uh, late, later yeah. on. But that song got to number nine in the charts um, uh, in 1978. But wow. if you want to check something out on YouTube, Check out the B side Sunday morning nightmare, but this is the B side of that to the Kids Are United single. Sunday morning nightmare is just as good if you like that sort of cool. shout, shouty punk. Jimmy Percy was the the lead singer of Sham Sixty Nine. Now, do you ken what film he auditioned for? A very famous film that was released in nineteen seventy eight. There was two punk frontmen auditioned for this film, and both didn't get the part. No, okay. Jimmy Percy and John Lydon both auditioned for the part of Jimmy in Quadrophenia. Oh wow! So that that's obviously Phil Daniels ended up getting the gig. But at the start of the at the start of the pro the, the process, mm -hmm. the two men that they looked at to play Jimmy and Quadrophenia well, was Johnny Rotten and Jimmy Percy for Sham Sixty Nine, but it didn't happen. Very so, good. So, so there you go, there you go. Now, the DeLorean stuck in nineteen ninety seven. We're waiting on we're waiting on this thunderstorm so we can actually connect it to a bell tower, and so we can <laughs> so, so we can send it somewhere else, uh, but. We've kind of moved forward. It's the 30th of November 1997 and the hoops are going to Ibrox. And we're going to Ibrox because it's a cup final and Hamden's getting done up. Um, and we're playing Dundee United in this cup final. <laughs> a couple of years before that, we had a tough cup final, another Coca-Cola cup final at Ibrox when we got beat off. Yeah, Rovers. Eh? What's your memories, boys? coming into this cup final. How were you feeling? So at this point in time, 
in my sort of uh, Celtic childhood, Kev, I've only won one trophy as a Celtic supporter. Ooh. The Scottish Cup final. And I watched this game. I remember the exact house I was in. A boy from a primary school class, he lived in a far bigger house than me and me had. And he didn't really have much passion for football. But yet, I had forced this boy. <laughs> Daniel Mackey talking about oh, like bonds, yeah. Well, I've never, you know, I'm not, I'm not into non-bonds, but <laughs> <laughs> judging by the highlights, um, now, is that, is that, yeah, the game, is that the game was, it was odd to me because I had never really clicked. My first cup final memory was Paul McStay missing the the penalty against Ray Rovers. A penalty but, kick that I've still never seen. Even though I was there, I still haven't seen that. Never watched it that back. Day. Yeah, right. So I never watched it. Is, I never watched it at the time. And well, I, even though I was right. at the game, I never watched it at the time. That's mad because the thing was, I was at such an age then when that cup final occurred that I wasn't aware of the date or the month of the in the season calendar when it was played. So I can remember when we were playing this league cup final, thinking, "Wow." We've just lifted a trophy and and it's dark. <laughs> so it's afternoon time and it's dark already, you know, because it's 30th of November. So that to me in itself was unusual. But my memories of it is where I watched it. It was at a guy called James McKay's house who wasn't a Celtic sport at all, but I made him watch it with me. And I suppose it was unusual for us to be already lifting a trophy that early in the season. I mean, I've only ever seen us win in the sun. You know, at Hamden um, against Airdrie, 1-0. This match, we've emphatically won. And we did. We did. And we were a team that looked extremely dominant. And there wasn't a a relief feeling at the end. It was, we scalped them. So that was another unusual factor because my Celtic sort of life up to then had been, if we won, it'd be the, by the skin of our teeth. Or like a big game sort of thing, or it being a nerve shredder, or whatever. Whereas this match, we're lifting a trophy here, having one with these. <laughs> Kevin Banks comes in and says, "This cup final was the first one I ever managed to get a ticket." That's brilliant, especially going to your first cup final and and winning. I love the fact that this cup final isn't played in the dark. I loved it because in the early eighties, it was played the same time, November, November, December time. It was always played on a Sunday afternoon, November, December in the early 80s. Then they moved it to later on in the season, I think possibly the year after this. Uh, they moved it because it must have been the year after it because we retained the trophy and the cup final was in March. They, they moved it to the March and now they've moved it back. Um, I always used to like the fact that this could set up your season. Like, if you won that first trophy... I think uh, you're spot on with that. If, if you won that first trophy, this could set, set up your season. And you could actually say this 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 was the case for this mm-hmm. for this team. Um, for a point I'll go on to later on. So the Celtic team that came out that night, that day, was Gould, Boyd, Maye, Wee Jackie, Matt Reaper, Alan Stubbs, Henrik Larson, Craig Burley, Andy Tom, Morton Weekhorst and Reggie Blinker. Uh, on the bench was Anone, Donnelly and Paul Lambert. So 
that is the makeup of Bernie Anson's Celtic side, a side that we, we watched lyrical about for far too long last week until I realised the time. <laughs> <laughs> and the week before, we played Dundee United as well and bet them 4 nothing at Celtic Park. So I remember going into this game with an air of confidence because yes. we're, bet, we're better. I mean, they're a decent Dundee United side. Um, they're a Dundee United side that had a very Scandinavian feel in them, and there was a, quite a few Scandinavians in that side. Oh, what it's is it? So much thunder. Right, on you go, on you go, take your No, 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 you've not. It was just, that was my observation from watching that. It was good 15-minute highlight, by the way, on, on YouTube. I didn't watch the full match, but when they said Shella Lobson, when he was taking the the free kick, and then it was, uh, the other one was uh, Zetterland and Skoldmar, and I, I I noticed the same. I went, "That's quite a Scandinavian feel with that Dundee United team." Mm-hmm. But no, that's interesting. That was something you picked up on as well. Brilliant. I think I think we were always linked with Olafson. I think or Monty. Uh, I'm off to bring in Monty. This is my Steve Selica set debut. Where you nice been, mate? Welcome, where you, welcome. But where have you been? And, and <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the new time suits him. Um, we're at this time and we are going to be at this time every single week now because of the news showing a state of mind the state of Scottish football um, it looks under the, the boulders of elements of Scottish football that, that other shows don't do and the guys on it are crying uh, so, Agreed. so get on that as well between six and seven five days a week as well live loads of good guys on that loads of good topics get involved in the comments and that eh? um, I think exactly. it's going to be the first the first gig was last night and it was really successful and I watched the one the night there and, and it was fantastic as well talking about I never thought I would spend half an hour when I was preparing for this talking about Air United and Hibs and St Johnson. So but that is is brilliant to get that flavour involved, isn't it? Because it is easy just to be biased to one club, which of course we are, but it is the, the league that we live in. And I think the young boys are doing a well from what I watched last night, you know, Sean's definitely he's got he's got the reins like you do on this show, Kev. He's got them in a good. tight grip, and I like that. Aye, it was good it was good tonight, and obviously it's no We'll get back to the, what we're meant to be talking about the now. Uh, obviously, it's not like Radio Clyde or any commercial. Eh? They're going to talk about things that you only get on other channels. So yeah. it's no, it's not going to be Celtic and Rangers orientated. I mean, we, we blather enough about Celtic on this channel anyway. So you may as well get some other, uh, some other views which are no absolutely agreed. Which are no Aye, we were always linked with Olafson and Pedersen as well. I always remember I thought they were decent players for Dundee United in this team. Um, what surprised me in this team, you've always got big Seab Dykstra still there as well for the Dundee United side, and Morris Malpass is still running about. I mean, he must have been about 159 by this point, um, Malpass. Um, I mean, you didn't get that nowadays. Well, we've just had Scott Brown leave right enough, but Morris Malpass spending his career at one club, he's talking about for 19... Early 80s, right, 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 right the way through. Eh? And it was not as if Morris Malpass wouldn't have been short of offers because at one point he was one of the best fullbacks in Britain. And during the 80s, he was one of the best fullbacks in Britain. Yeah. And I always found it surprising that he didn't actually get, get a move. 
I was in the Copeland Road this game. Uh, it's first time, no, the second time I've ever been in the Copeland Road. Is it the second time? Because I second time I've been in the Copeland Road. First time I was in the Copeland Road was played Hibs. Wally Faulkner scored for Celtic. I was in the Copeland Road that Friday night. Um, and so this was the second time I was in the Copeland Road. Cool. Um, never want to be back there right enough. It's, um, it, it wasn't was, was too good. But the day was fantastic. Celtic, we, we went there on a high. You were talking about this Liverpool game another week there, which yeah. which, which showed like uh, which showed where this team could go. And the fact is, we had, we had talked Dundee United 4 nothing the week before. We're yeah. playing them again at Ibrox. Our, our like, ambition was through the roof. Our expectation was through the roof going to this game. But yeah. it, it was tempered with Rafe Rovers. It was tempered with the fact is, if we won... It would only be our second trophy of the 90s. And it was also tempered with, with this point, we thought we were cursed. <laughs> we, 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 we really so thought we were cursed coming into cup finals and it, against teams that we should win, like games that we should win, teams that we should beat. So there was a bit of nerves coming into this game. Fortunately enough, they were settled in after 21 minutes. I... Um, Andy Tom picks up the ball on the right-hand side and he plays the, the ball to Morton Recourse. Recourse puts in a pinpoint, there you go, ping-pong, pinpoint, right? A ping, oh, ah, he put in a perfect cross. Like, stuff, I'm not going for the, the alliteration of the P's. Um, he put in a, a perfect cross, which is met by Mark Reaper, who... Uh, Bulleted the ball and off the left hand post. It's a picture goal, eh? It's a cracking goal. The header at the, to, you know, to aim it to the back post the way he's done. It's a perfect glancing header, isn't it? It is. Um, it's a great it's, header. It's, done, it's, it's a striker's header. Let's be honest. It's not a typical centre half header, that one, Kev. It's done with a bit of finesse that you would expect from a, a striker who's good in the air, not a centre half. But Mark Reaper was someone who. I wouldn't say ahead of his time in that sense, but I suppose had the attributes that a lot of teams would look for just now, where he's just very comfortable with the ball at his feet. Well, let's have a look at this. We got a Danish international centre half with over 50 caps at that point for £1.5 million from West Ham United. How and if sca- I'm not mistaken, when he signed, he was, what, 29? Uh, yes, he would have been, yes. So he's at the peak of his powers as well, which is quite the thought that you'd be getting, let's say the equivalent would be Simon Kerr just now. Simon Kerr? Jason Kerr? No, Simon Kerr, the guy who plays for Denmark, the now who's got over 50 caps, Kev. Who's right, right, right. Years old. right, you, you, right. Okay, <laughs> but what, 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 what did we get him for? One point five million. No, he would be fifty, probably. You know, or thirty, or something daft like that. So, right, it does. Uh, it's quite enlightening to think you're getting guy coming into the peak because a centre half for me, twenty nine years old. They're coming into their peak, aren't they, kid? Mm-hmm. They are. This is peak age. 
50 caps in the bank and you're choosing to leave the EPL for Celtic, you don't get them for 1.5 million now. You're absolutely right. What's what's bring this round to my faux pas there and speak to Jason about Jason Kerr? You would get Jason Kerr for one and a half million pounds now. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> you, good you player. Would, he is a good player, but he's not Mark Peter. He's not sitting there with 50 caps for Denmark. No. Having, been, having been a first-team player at West Ham, another West Ham connection was the reason that I brought up Matt Reaper as well. See, these, these things just didn't work themselves out. Here's um, the question then, Kev. Did Mark Reaper win? Was he part of the squad that won Euro 92? Uh, I'm going to say not. I'm going to say no. I don't think that is on his record. I'm going to say no. It'll be 23, 24 by then. So it's interesting. Just try to work it out in my head. I'm not I sure. I, I, I can't remember. We would have celebrated that. that by now, wouldn't we, if he had been? Ah, we would have mentioned ah, that. We would have mentioned If you look at Reaper, we may as well talk about Reaper the now before we move on with the yep. game. Because Scott Howe comes in and says Reaper was class. Yeah. And I'm going to fully back that comment that he was class. Him and Alan Stubbs that season formed a formidable partnership. And it was a partnership which was cultured, but also as hard as a, as a fire door. They were really, really good, really strong, and especially Reaper. Reaper was an absolute leader, and he was also built like the, the side of a bungalow. He, he was, he was a, a great player. And to get that for one and a half million pounds was was unbelievable when you actually look back on it now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's one of the players my dad absolutely adored. He he, he thought the guy, he, this is a steal. And he used to talk about Reaper all the time being a class act. Um, he was at 96. Fair enough. I was just wondering if he maybe played at 92 because I knew it fell into his sort of early 20s. So off the go. But we would have known. We would have known. Celtic would have found a connection to Euro 92 oh, when Reaper signed. So, but he was a player that, I'll be honest, even when I was young, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I had a mature football mind then, but Stubbs used to frustrate me as a player. I don't know if my memory is telling me about the seasons preceding 97, 98, but Stubbs, it was never, I was never his biggest fan as a player um, growing up, but I don't know if it was after that season. He can stubs right down. There you go. Facebook user comes in and says he can stubs right down, and that's I think that they too became the mainstay of Janssen's championship team because Stubbs benefited from Mark Reaper being alongside him. Yeah, and, and bear in mind that Alan Stubbs cost four million pounds three years before that. It would have been oh. ninety-four, ninety-five. What that was, was signed? Tommy Bond signed Stubbs. Tommy Burns signed Stubbs, so Stubbs would have been at the club. Someone will need to find that out. I think he was 96 as late as... I would think he was only been there a year. Mm, I would think he would have been there a year. David Bradley comes in. Kev, what was, what was his trophy haul? Uh, Reaper with Celtic won the league in the League Cup. Unfortunately, Reaper um, got injured in October 98 and, yeah. had, to re- and had to retire in... July 2000 because he had a toe injury and he only really had one good season he only had really one season at Celtic and it's the marketer's report 
This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. He retired at 32-year-old. Scary. And he became part of... Martin O'Neill's original backroom staff. He came back oh. as Martin O'Neill. He, he was part of Martin O'Neill's original uh, backroom staff because Celtic couldn't get they couldn't get Robertson and Walford done, uh, and right away because Leicester were hanging on to him. So Matt Reaper and Tommy Burns took the first couple of days training for Martin O'Neill. And they were Martin O'Neill's backroom staff all the way wow. through PC, all the way through pa- pre-season. Celtic asked Reaper to stay on, but he decided to go back to Denmark where he started coaching at our house. No, no, no the madness yep. song for everybody out there. <laughs> um, so Graham Caldwell, Kev Stubbs played for Celtic from 96 to 2001. I, I, thought, I thought it was earlier than that, but, uh, but th- there you go. I'm, I'm, uh, Every day's Kev. a school day, Kev. Right. That was my book last year, so all the years just blend into one. <laughs> so uh, th- that's my that's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, he went to our house, became a coach for our house, where he took a certain Liam Muller on loan when he be- when he became coach there. Never, I did not know that. Very good. I didn't uh, know that. I uh, took Liam Muller and another Celtic player called Mick Doyle on yes. loan. Mick he, Doyle. Yeah, I knew he went there. Aye. But Liam Muller went there as well, that's fair. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mick Doyle was a left winger, wasn't he? Oh, I can't remember. I, I, I played I, on the left, but I did not remember Liam Miller being out there. Stubbs was signed on the 10th of July 1996. Well, it's easy when you've got Google in front of you, Grant, you know? But I have a chance that you've let us know. Aye, d- definitely. Um, Matt Reaper scored two goals in his Celtic career. And this cup final was one of them. <laughs> this was this cup final was one. obviously if you only played a season, that's and two goals for your centre half. That's fine. But for me, I always look back at Reaper as one of the one of the genuine like heroes of that time. 
He's yeah. a hero of that Celt- of one of those Celtic teams, and he all he always be remembered fondly, even though it was only for a short period period of time uh, for for what he contributed to Celtic in that season. Eh? Well, I think the important part as well with that, Kev, is you know it wouldn't have been a short period of time if injuries hadn't prevented it. That is un- undeniable, you know. And 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 the one thing as well, you know, you look at the managers that followed, you get to Martin O'Neill's era and knowing Martin O'Neill never really had ageism in him. In fact, Martin O'Neill tended to like, I think, more mature players. So if Mark Reaper, when O'Neill takes up step 32, you can be assured he would have been someone he would have used 100%. You know that a fit Mark Reaper would have played in a Martin O'Neill Celtic. Yep. You, you, you know that 100% from just looking back to see what, uh, what Martin O'Neill done with Celtic. Uh, he knew that Mark Reaper would have been part of Martin O'Neill Celtic. Yeah, I and, agree. And, and O'Neill tried to uh, make him stay as part of the backroom staff as well. So it showed you O'Neill had respect for the guy and his work that he had done yeah, in the pre-season with Martin O'Neill. Mark McLean comes in with a great point as well. Without Stubbs header in November against Rangers, which was two weeks before this cup final, there would be no one in a row. Aye, it's true. That's a great towering header by Stubbs in the last minute. Um, what I really like about that game is there's a moment of silence when the Celtic fans realise, before the Celtic fans realise the ball's in the back of the net. And when you watch the footage back, you can actually mm-hmm. hear the players shout that it's in before the crowd goes absolutely mental. <laughs> uh, it's quite a weird thing. Check it check it out in the, the highlights. Stubbs headers the ball, and when it hits the back of the net, there's silence, and you hear the players shouting, and you hear Andy gone screaming, basically. Um, uh, am I right in thinking Alan Stubbs scored again in the following Old Firm game at Ibrox as well? Oh, I'm not 100% sure of that. I think he scored again. Remember, I'm sure he curled one in the far corner. Mm. I, I think he scored two old firms in a row. Uh, Kieran comes in. Now, this is this is this is one of fire at your voice. Reaper was more into pulp than the verve. Well, how do you know that, Kieran? Is beyond me. But respect to Mark Reaper's musical tastes. I reckon, I, I reckon, I reckon, I reckon Stubbs would have been more into the verve. But maybe that's just me stereotyping scousers, scousers, <laughs> mystics and stuff like that, eh? Uh, Kenny67 comes in to say Reaper scored three goals, one at Tynecastle, one at Easter Road, and one at Ibrox. Uh, I must have missed one. Uh, Kenny scored one against, I thought he only scored against Hibs and Dundee United. Uh, every day's a school day. Stubb scores. The place goes absolutely mental. Ibrox goes absolutely mental. Two and a half minutes later, Henrik Larson intercepts a, a pass from Mark Perry and he gets to the edge of the box and he fires a shot. It takes a, a wicked deflection uh, of Morris Malpass and ends up, flies over Dykstra and ends up in the back of the net. At that point, even us in the stands begun to believe that Celtic winning one in the second yeah. throw through the nineties was on the cards at that point. And when you watch the when you watch the the footage again, and I've just watched it recently, the place goes mental. 
the players go mental, the crowd goes mental, and the noise that you get from the highlights, or if you've watched the full game, is unbelievable. It's un- un- unfitting for a League Cup final between Celtic and Dundee United. The place, the, the, the noise that's actually made is it's hairs on the back of the neck stuff. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, with the second goal, what I noticed watching it back, we always talk about modern football, Kevin, and how there's different tactics applied now that have became the norm. The high press is at its, you know, its earliest foundation in that Celtic team on that day. They, they're, they're swarming the Dundee United goal by this point, and mm-hmm. it is relentless. Dundee United cannot even root the ball out without someone being able to block it, deflect it somehow, get it down, one-twos, quick passes, and Larson is at the heart of all of it. That's the thing. And obviously, we would always say Larson deserves his goal, whether it was wickedly deflected or not. But in that particular game, he actually genuinely does. If you watch the involvements he's got and all the attacking moves he's particularly the first half, he's everywhere in that final third. And he is linking up play left, right and centre. And his brain is already at this point at an elite level that we're maybe not yet grasping how elite it was. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, do, I do get what you mean. He's shown signs of being a quality player at this point uh, after a slow start, should we say. But I'll still always claim that Dr. Joe Venglos, the following season, made him the striker that he became. At this, yeah. at this, at this stage, he was showing his football intelligence as a coming in from the wide areas and linking up with, with place. But when Venglos married that with being a centre-forward, being sure. the, the main man in the middle, he, he he then became the zeitgeist player that he is for anybody my age. Well, whilst I agree with that, there's undoubted as well, one of Larson's best attributes that he showed in the match, and this has really stuck out to me watching it, see the attributes he shows in that game, as I say, particularly first half, he replicated it one different club, Manchester United. Mm-hmm. He actually became that. You watch what he was like at Man United, and I've watched so many highlights. I remember I would tune in every Man United game when he was uh, on Sky, when he'd signed for them, because eh? you couldn't resist not to. And when he, the role he played for them, because he only scored, I think, three goals in 11 games, but the role he played was so similar it was actually eerily reminiscent when I watched it. Maybe he's doing it slightly quicker, but when he went to Manchester United, it was so similar, the movements, the wee, dropping a wee bit deeper, quick one-twos, turning away, uh, passing without looking, laying it off. It was all happening in that first half against Dundee United by Henrik. He deserved that big deflected goal, but I've got to say, yes, he adapted to being, as you say, the I mean, just a, a, a predator. European, one of European football's most feared strikers for years. He actually reverted back to the, the guy he was under Vimianton, I would say, at Old Trafford. That's what he reminded me of. What you've got to remember at this point, Larson's came out a difficult time in Rotterdam. Yep. And you can tell that he's enjoying football at this point because he's getting game time. Uh, at this point, you see the way that he celebrates his goal. It's like yeah. he, 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 there's a release there as if they go, 
I didn't expect this a year ago that I was going to be playing in a cup final when I was struggling in Rotterdam, when I was struggling at Feyenoord. There's a relief that Celtic have gave him this platform to play. There's a relief that Wim Janssen knew, trusted his talents, trusted his ability, knew about the clause in the contract to get this player for 650 grand. And I think you can see the enjoyment in that side. And this goes back to what we spoke to last week, Russell. I think that Liverpool game, as you quite rightly says, built the confidence in that side. Even though we ended, to go, ended up going out against Liverpool, the fact that they went to a Premier, uh, uh, an English Premier League side and didn't get beat over two games against them. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Gave this side confidence, and I think you see it from this point on. Because when we won this game, I mean, we had lost four league games up to this point, and we only lose one league game after this point. And that was against Rangers at Ibrox in the end of March 98. So from Liverpool to here, Builds a confidence of one Jansen Celtic. I think you're absolutely right, Kev. I mean, when you look at the Liverpool performance, like I said last week, I felt that was the first, the first free insight into what we we're going to become in the future, let alone just that season. The cup win instills a different mentality, doesn't it? See, when you win a trophy, that then becomes addictive. That is an addictive thing. Getting put out by Liverpool isn't addictive. But the performance is something to strive, like to strive to repeat, because you know playing against most sides, you will get results if you can play at that level. But winning trophies is a a chemical to footballers that they cannot replicate by doing anything but winning trophies. It is the drug. It is the addiction. Is winning trophies that becomes part of your psyche? You become a very successful player, uh, or team. So you look at the Liverpool stuff was the foundation. The League Cup a couple of months later gave them the belief. When they ended up winning the league, they were probably not surprised. The only thing they were surprised at was the fact they didn't do it at East End Park the week before. Falconbridge, which should be which should be a, a witch's spell actually with the amount of times that we say it on this podcast. Uh, Jogby comes in, Barcelona Champions League final, Larson a brain and movement and reverse passing, football brain un- unrivaled. 
no argument there for anybody on, on this show. Uh, Mick Jai, 2-0-5-1. More a number nine with Celtic, but more a second striker number 10 at other clubs. This backs up your point, Russell, about him at Man United and Barcelona, and also in this season for Celtic, because he was more of a, a second striker number 10 this season with, with, with Celtic. Even though we're building up to what was a successful season, we still have... <laughs> a, a funny incident that happened in this game which shows how far we, we had to go to be an absolutely fantastic side Reggie mm-hmm. Blinker manages to hit his backside with his own shot which is something that you'll never see again and something to this day that you'll, you'll have NASA scientists trying to work out how Reggie Blinker managed to hit a ball with his right foot into the ground get in front of it and it comes up and hits is, but it is embarrassing, eh? It is. I mean, obviously, as a predominantly left-footed player, you've seen plenty. We spoke about Simon Donnelly's his left foot Anfield only last week. And the reason yeah. that he would have probably scored that opportunity had he been on his right. But Reggie doesn't just miss. He, as you say, defies science, which isn't ideal. For someone who's probably referred to now as a bit of a joke character, um... Well, when you see things like this, when you hear, when you see things like this again, yep, <laughs> you go, I get it. it's quite easy. I totally get it. And it's funny because we spoke about, I spoke about this with Paul this morning in the studio. We were talking about, because I seen the incident with Blinker and I says, see when you look back at it, imagine Celtic signing a 28-year-old, 27, 28-year-old Dutch international mm-hmm. winger from the English Premier League right now. And, and being a joke figure. <laughs> it wouldn't happen, it's, it's when you say stuff like that, it, it, it's how far football's changed yep. uh, in the last 25 years. Um, I don't know, again, if, any, if we get any technical problems here, it's just, I just had a flash of thunder there, that's how I jumped. So, <laughs> so just, I thought so it was just, my part. <laughs> no, it wasn't your part, no, it was a flash of thunder. <laughs> eh? It was... Uh, can you hear the thunder, the sound of strength in numbers? Aye, as you say, Reggie Blinker was was a was a Dutch internationalist, and like <laughs> he somehow managed to hit his own arse with a ball. Yeah, which is which is it's a skill you can't teach Wayne's that you can't teach Wayne's how to do that. But even that couldn't have stopped Celtic that day. And but and let's let's give Blinker his due; he does actually make up for this. When, for his role that he played in the third goal. Um, the third goal came on the 59 minutes. Mm-hmm. Larson gets the ball on, on the right-hand side and cuts into the box. He feeds the ball to Blinker on the edge of the box. Blinker probably should shoot, but he doesn't. He takes a heavy touch. He then goes by two Dundee United players, gets to level with the six-yard box and puts in a perfect cross for Craig Burley to... What would, what would become known as the Stan Petroff type header who charges into the box and headers into the back of the net from about three, four yards. It's a great goal and great one play by Reggie Bunker, even though we've just slagged him there for the last five minutes. Credit where right. credit's due. And, and, you know, that third goal, he is offside, right? Did you not who, notice that when you watched the back? Who, Bunker's offside? No, Craig Burley, the, the, the head of these scores. 
Definitely, like he's standing offside before the cross goes in. He's still standing offside. When the, it's not like he dives, he jumps back and then goes forward. Oh, he's offside. Mm. Diving header, you would never have known it. No one even mentions it in commentary. Is that VAR? VAR would have chopped that off. Voices VAR came out, Kev. I was like, that. need to chop right. that one up. No, I mean, let's be honest. We were that was payback for George Cadetti's one that we spoke about a month ago, Kev. You know what I mean? That so I don't feel bad about it in the slightest. Uh, I've seen Donny Boy's comment there. You never never played amateur football then, Kev, with a capital B. Um, I think that's a skill. Uh, obviously, never wrote a book, Donny Boy, or, or done any spoken word with a capital V at the end of Kev. No, so, no what, what he's talking about, if I had <laughs> Reggie Blinker hitting his arse well, I know what he's skill. talking about. Aye. I know what he's talking about. I, no, I never played amateur football. The highest I ever got was Sunday League, and even then, I had 179 unused subs appearances in the in Sunday <laughs> League. Um, I, I was that bad. Um, I got to pick the tracksuits every season because I'd be wearing it. So when, when yeah. we got to the, when we got to, I got to pick the tracksuit. So when I grew up, I, I went to to Dumbleton High, right? So we played for a team called Octrada Primrose. Right. Guess who played centre midfield? I played really? left back. Think. Andy Murray. Andy Murray. I was going to say Andy Murray played centre. Oh, there you go. Was he any good? Brilliant. Was he? Oh, the best player in the team by a country mile. Country is a huge Tibbs fan. We had a trial for Rangers. Didn't fancy it. There's another flash of thunder there. Um, I, I play, right, I'll give you a virtual cuddle, mate. You're nah, no, like. I, I, it's fine, man. If, if, if I disappear, producer Paul's sitting in the in the wing, ready yes. to come in. Eh? Uh, Kenny sixty seven points out. We didn't sign Reggie Blinker. Uh, Reggie Blinker, Ross, come on. He was traded with the Canyon. So uh, we didn't we didn't sign Reggie Blinker then. Is you're telling me we just got him just. We, we didn't even know he was joining. <laughs> no, that's called part of the transfer, Kenny. That's part of the deal. We agreed to <laughs> sign Reggie Blinker as a makeway for selling De Canio. You don't just get players like, oh, and by the way, there's Reggie Blinker. You've no choice. He's just joining. It, we did sign Reggie no Blinker. It was no something like your Octorada Primrose friend someday wanted to take, say somebody wanted to come to you and they would offer like a set of cones and a, and a couple of training bots. Was Reggie Blinker not just thrown into the deal like that? Made that offer for me. <laughs> Maybe ever made that offer for, for me. Kenny, I mean, I want to, I want to understand your point right now. But what do you mean we didn't sign Reggie Blinker? We we did well, sign look, Reggie Blinker. Look, he's got a wee emoji there. He's got a wee emoji. He's actually said he was traded. With the canyon, I think I think he's kind of having a wee go at Jock Brown because that's how Jock Brown would have would have, would have, would have, would have sold that. Eh? He was traded with the canyon. Oh yes, <laughs> we, I we, mean we, we got rid of a troublesome Italian who's never been near the Italian national team, and we traded him for a, for a Dutch international winger. There that's you go. That, that's, that is that's how you sell. That's how you sell a deal, man. Are you Jock Brown in disguise, Kev? That's what I need to know now. 
No, no, no. <laughs> uh, Amy, Amy definitely interviewed the right Jock Brown and it wasn't me. Um, <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, Remember Reggie pulling out of a 50-50 tackle against Zagreb, uh, uh, Zagreb, I think. Yes, he did. And uh, we leg the following you season in the Champions League. Right a wee bit, didn't he? He absolutely he kind of gets up to him and he does that. It's funny. <laughs> Kenny67 comes in and I'm, I was spot on, mate. I was spot on. Yeah. Don't argue with me. That was the words of Drop Brown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you need to put the quotation marks in and say Drop Brown. I know, I know, I know, but uh, I, see, I can only deal with what I see, Kerry. I apologise, mate. That, that was the wee emoji. It was the wee emoji that gave that away to me. Oh, no, that was my, that was my bad, then. I apologise, Kenny. Aye, we're three nothing up, and I'm going to go Celtic die here. We won this game at a canter. This is only our setting trophy in the nineties. It was the setting trophy of the nineties, and see all these folk that are complaining about what we're actually seeing the new. Come back to me in ten years' time when we won the setting trophy. This is how this place went absolutely mental when we scored the setting and third goal because we knew at that point. It's the marketers' report this week. Patrizia Spagnoletto, global chief marketing officer, direct consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. We're getting our trophy, we're getting our hands on silverware. And I'm, yep. going, all sell, I'm going all Celtic there. And one to Ken, son, see if we won our next trophy, the celebrations will be the same. We will be so up for that. The next the next trophy that we won is going to be the best yeah, trophy. No, it's going to be the best trophy. And people who moan about where we are always appreciate winning trophies. Never let that like never never let that feeling go. That or take it for granted. And I'm sorry to say, I think some of the Celtic support started winning leagues, thinking winning leagues, cups and that for granted and didn't appreciate what we actually done. That's just my opinion, but I'll, I'll, let me state it there now. The next trophy that we win and we're all in the stadium is going to be utterly cracking. Yeah, no, going, I, I think it's, that's fair. It's going to be off the scale. Yeah, and well, that, I agree with you. I think the fans, is, there's got to be an element of support we maybe feel that they do. They do expect it or whatever, but I also think that was that complacency was replicated in the board. So now, now you were talking about Henrik Larson. Yes, Martin Recourse got man of the match, and if, yeah. you watch it, if you watch his highlights, he was absolutely superb this game. The pace of him underrated as well. 
Um, his dribbling ability, his ability to take the ball from his own half into the, you know, the sort of final third of the opposition half in five seconds was superb. Uh, mm. His distribution's brilliant. It's his cross for the first goal, I'm sure, as well. Uh, for Reaper, it's Morton B. Cost. And you're absolutely right, he gets man of the match. And I loved his interview after the game because he speaks in that, uh, that amazing... Scandinavian stroke Glaswegian accent. It's just wonderful, isn't it? Scandinavian Dundonian Glaswegian accent. Brilliant. Aye, Big Morton again, and and we spoke about him in the Liverpool game a few few weeks before, and we speak about him here. He was absolutely fabulous in this game. And it was a game that he actually thought Paul Lambert was going to play. He didn't expect to play until two hours, and he was told two hours before the kickoff. That he was that, that he was going to play ahead of Paul Lambert, and Janssen was proved right. Which is one heck of an achievement, considering that same year Paul Lambert won a Champions League medal only four months before. Mm-hmm. From the start in the final, man marking Zidane at the Champions League final to coming on with two minutes to go in the League Cup final four months later in Scotland. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Scott Howe, videotape that watched it over and over, was like we won the European Cup. Brilliant. Remember it like yesterday. That's the Brilliant, memories that, that that's the memories that never leave you. That did you see that? <laughs> that was the memories that'll never that was the, that was the memories that'll never leave you. Something as so, something now that a lot of the younger generation take for granted. We like we loved that day. I think I was off my work for two days after it. I think I was up the Rainbow Rocks and Stirling and everything on that on that <laughs> Sunday night celebrating it. And that's just the way it was. Because it's a setting trophy in like eight years. It's it's it it's must be quite it's quite difficult now. I mean we were, I was at the game on I was at the game on Saturday and there's and there's a lot of young fellas on, on our bus, eh? And you're trying to tell them that this is still a good time for Celtic just to get on with it and, and stuff like that, eh? And when you're watching this like mm. today, watching these highlights again today, you're going, it brought me back going, what a day that was. That was a great day. And we all sang Rollway at the final whistle and they played it over the played they played it over the, the PA and we all went mental and we all went home happy. It was it seemed like a mere innocent time actually. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's amazing because you talk about the music after the song and Whilst I've always associated role with it as a Celtic song because of that season, they also ironically fill Ibrox or take up the majority of it and sing You'll Never Walk Alone with it played over the tannoy. Now, do you imagine if for some reason there was some sort of issue with Hamden and Celtic have to play a cup semi-final or a final at Ibrox, would they play that over the tannoy this season? Say it happened this season. Nah, they wouldn't let us in. <laughs> probably, they well, probably... no, well, I think, you know, say they, I, I just don't, I don't think that would happen. I don't think it would happen. You have a look at when we won the But title. it did strike me as so noticeable. Sorry, Kev, just, it was such a, it was like when you click, they're all in the stands and you're going, wait, now, you almost, I forgot, it was at Ibrox. And you're going, they're playing that over the speaker. I'm just, to me, I I just don't see that happening nowadays. I've never thought about that, eh? But eh, that's maybe why the celebrations were so wild, because of where it was. 
Um, that, that could have been a reason for it. Um, but I do remember them playing role with it. Uh, I can't remember you'll never walk home, but I do remember them playing role with it in the, in the place. Uh, absolute bouncing. It was a great day, and that was a that, that, that was that was a great season. Um, Jim Jim Orr, uh, who does the Friday Club, um, is an absolute expert on this season because obviously he wrote the play "Bend It Like Bratback." Mm-hmm. And when you talk to Jim Orr about this, he's an encyclopedic knowledge of games, what went on, the draws and stuff like that. Eh? And it'll be interesting to get his take. I'll, I'll ask him. I'll ask him his take on it. Eh? But for me, that rates is one of my favourite Celtic Cup finals. Really, does. oh, that's superb. As I say, for me, it was like it was the unknown because remember the one the one trophy I've seen us win was against a team we were expected to cuff, if you know what I mean, because it was Airdrieonians at the time, you know, mm-hmm. and we've only won one nil, and it was like <laughs> like relief, even though we had a to me at that point, you know, this great team that was upcoming, and yet here we are against Dundee United, the Premier League team, it was skill them, mm-hmm. so. It was very much a. I'd never, I'd never experienced you know, winning a trophy where, by the full time whistle, it was just a case of. Well, I knew I knew for half forty minutes, forty five minutes that we were going to win this. Do you know what I mean? It was brilliant. When you when you look back at that side, when you look back at the quality that we had in that side on that day, that team would rip the current one and you were. Definitely, because you're talking about we've got Danish yeah. internationalists, we've got Scottish internationalists, we've got Stubbs, we've got Larson, we've got Burley, we've got Andreas Tom. I mean, it's the two weak spots are probably the goalie and Reggie Blinker. And the even caliber, then, the caliber of the of the the key men is just of a far far superior level. I mean, we 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 you know our best player you would say right now still in the squad is Odson Edward. Mm-hmm. He's a France under twenty one international. A right. France under twenty one international would be way down the pecking order in that team in terms of you know rankings. If you were to rank the players, you know one to eleven, who are the best players in the team? It wouldn't be a French under twenty one international, would it? Well, you, you look at you look at the this guy that were, the right back that were meant to be signing from Antwerp, and he's getting sold as the former. Portuguese under twenty internationalist. That's what, that's what he's been described Man, as. And we're talking about getting a Danish internationalist for one and a half million pounds who's got fifty caps. That's 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 completely different worlds. Absolutely completely different worlds. As I say, maybe the world was more simpler in that time. Uh, maybe I just hate modern football more as I get older, but the fact that I, I love that, I love that team. That team's got more quality in it now. Looking back, and that, I don't think that's a nostalgic thing. I think that's just, I think I'm just stating a fact there. Is there an argument though, Kev? When we were spending one and a half million then, why on earth do we think one and a half million players would work now? If you told yeah. me we're still going to be signing guys or at two million, three million pounds, twenty-four years later. You you would say no 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 there'll be eight nine million by then. Aye aye, it's 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 football. It's where we are, eh? And guys like that now. I mean, what we've got to remember is the following season, we gave Henrik Larsson a contract 
on the same money as Man United offered them at that point, or that was two or two seasons later, and yep. that would never happen now. That would yep. never happen in the month of Sundays now. We've, yep. got, we've got Chris Ayer who's left to go to Brentford, and he's probably trebled four times his money. Scary that to go to Brent, Brentford day and changed days. Music has also changed, Russell. Not for the better, we may add. Um, but in September that year, the 18th biggest selling UK album of all time was released by a little band from Wigan called The Verve. And they released an album called Urban Hymns, which was preceded with a song that basically put them on the map, a video that basically put them on the map uh, called Bittersweet Symphony. Uh, uh, this this is this is a song and the video who that made Richard Ashcroft a star. He went from a nobody to front pages of the tabloid newspapers and a clicky of finger. Hey. Right, well it's, it's funny you say put him on the map again. You need to look at my age at this time. It's the band that put the verve on the map for me. Little nine-year-old me at this point. I only turned 10 in November 1997. Wow. wow. I know. But that video, now you could ask my mum, she would come down the stairs. I'd, you're always an early riser at that age, aren't you? I'd be flicking through the sky a couple of music channels, MTV and VH1, just waiting on that video to come on, on each one of them, just to watch him swagger down. The, I, I remember doing it in the school corridor at primary school. Deliberately bumping into folk. I was tiny, but I remember replicating it and like an idiot at lunchtime and that. But it was so, it, you know, you were transfixed on it because even by that point, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but me and my next door neighbour by that point were making mixtapes, mm-hmm. right? And it was predominantly Oasis that we listened to at that point. We were obsessed already, right? Even though we seemed too young to get it properly, we didn't maybe know what cigarettes and alcohol was all about. Do you know what I mean? But we, we liked the songs. That was the key. And when the verb stuff came out, it was on this sort of similar sort of wavelength in terms of the, the guitars and all that. And you seen the video and you went, wow, this is, this is scarily good. We'll get to, you know, the rest of the album. I'll wait to do the comment first, but I'll explain what the the next connection is. What I liked about the video was his shoes, the wallabies that he had on. And I loved the shoes. And the fact that his leather jacket looked four sizes too big for him. It looked like you had been that it looked like you had like a coat hanger. On his leather jacket. And there's a story about the wallabies that he wore in them, he wore in the video. They're fake wallabies, they're fake Clark wallabies. But after the video, Clark sent him boxes full of them. Of, of, really? the, right, of the right ones. He says that he had picked up these wallabies in Spain and they were fake. Complete and utter fake wallabies. But Clark sent him hundreds of pairs after the video. Well, that is funny, Kev, because I'm actually wearing a fake pair of Adidas Sambas right now. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I didn't know that at all. But, you know, again, the videos are iconic, 
when you're talking about that, I am seeing the exact shoes he's wearing and how loose they are and begin mm-hmm. to think, of course they weren't clock numbers. You can almost, <laughs> the more you look back at the shape of them, it doesn't add up. You're absolutely well, right. I'm surprised nobody for Clark's picked up on it either. Going, he's wearing, he's wearing, he's wearing snide. Uh, he's wearing snide ones, man. <laughs> Maybe they did pick up on it. That's why they sent him, like... We're missing a trick here, Kev. Wanky 67. When the verb came out, I was staying in my grand's and Fife takes me back to the good old days. It does, ta- it does take me back to uh, the good old days as well. Now, I was I, I was into the verb from the uh, from the first EPs uh, in 1992. They they competed with uh, they competed with Suede, or Suede, whatever you want to say. You're uh, talking about Clark still. I, I, I know. Uh, the first three EPs, I've still got them up, up the stairs with the Verve. And then you've got A Storm in Heaven was the first album. Then for me, the perfect album was A Northern Soul. And no. I love so A Northern Soul. I, 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 love, I, love I, I love A Northern Soul. And I was utterly distraught that they broke up Ashcroft Paul comes in Ashcroft was wearing a dark brown not black leather jacket over a denim jacket in that video he did have a denim jacket on and he still has the habit of wearing two jackets well do you know something about that Paul right I'm gonna I'm gonna let you in sound here but you're talking about a northern soul cave right so if I'm going to the studio it's half seven is the pickup time, right? He'll pick me up outside in the big state of mind truck. Now, to me, to G the team up on a Monday morning, right? <laughs> oh, and that keep that comment up. That's very relevant. Right? So to me, say it was the other way around and I'm picking Paul up. I'm playing rock and roll star on the Monday morning, right? Blow the cobwebs away. It's a new week at work. He's playing Chris Carnell's Nothing Compares to You. <laughs> right? Which is, right, on a Monday morning, though, Ian goes, oh, two seconds, two seconds, before he's leaving the car park, two seconds. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm going to put our history by the verb. I'm sitting there going, it's half seven on a Monday morning. <laughs> that is not the way. To, is that what pushes your buttons at this time of day, Paul? So... And it's history by the very what's they put on. But they are cracking songs. I mean, Northern Soul's got some songs on it that are just, to me, unbelievable. But we're here to talk about Urban Hymns. I know, but, um, I, don't, but, I, but I don't think you can talk about Urban Hymns if you're talking about a Northern Soul. Because the Northern Soul left them with unfinished business eh, because of the way that they split up. Okay, like you look at history on your own and... It, History and On Your Own were very more acoustic-based songs that yes. to more of their psychedelic jams, which they were famous for. Um, so by the time we get to Urban Hymns, Ashcroft sees himself as a singer-songwriter. He see, that's what he sees himself. Correct. He goes, goes into the studio with youth and they, they, I think they produce... Four or five songs which ended up on Urban Hymns, but they cannot get nothing else to work. They cannot get nothing else to work. 
then eventually they bring in Chris Potter and they bring in the Verve and it becomes a Verve album. But I think you have to... The reason that they split up in the first place was because, uh-huh. McCabe, was because McCabe, for me, felt dis- disenchanted by Ashcroft becoming this, becoming this songwriter. Nick McCabe does not play on history. He, yep. does, not, he does not play a note on history. And it's if you've got the... A Northern Soul box set. He tells you in that he says he walked into the studio, they played a bit, and he walked back out, and he never came back for the rest of that album. Well, ego gets the way of a lot of bands, Kev. Mm-hmm. Ego's getting the way of a lot of bands. The other story is that Urban Hymns was actually an album that could have potentially been Ashcroft's first solo album. Well, Ashcroft now claims it was his first solo album. It should have been his first oh. solo album. He claims oh, that. Oh, you think he's only claiming it? Bernard Butler auditioned for Urban Hymns gig before Ashcroft went back to McCabe. Interesting. That That is a really interesting point. Uh, uh, this this is going to show the age gap between us, Russell. You were turning 10 when this album came out. Mm-hmm. Four weeks before this album came out, I went to see them at the Barrowlands on the, what was the Urban Hymns tour. It was That's a Sunday amazing. night. It was a Sunday night at the Barrowlands. It was absolutely boiling. Um, and when you look at it, I've got this, I had to actually check out the set list. And that night, it wasn't the polished, rock, overblown stuff that became Urban Hymns a year later, which became the Verve at A. Call and Headlining Glastonbury and stuff like that. This was the Verve that was still stuck in the 90s Northern Soul groove. The life's an ocean that night nearly took the nearly took the roof off the place. Uh, a new decade, the opened with a new decade was just they were a really good swampy psychedelic band that night. I was having a look at the, the set list and from Urban Hymns, they only play The Drugs Don't Work, uh, Sonnet, The Rolling People, uh Bittersweet Symphony and Come On. That's the only songs that they play from Urban Hymns that night. And somebody, somebody might need to correct me here. I'm sure Ashcroft done the songs from Urban Hymns apart from Bittersweet Symphony himself with an acoustic guitar. Wow. If, if I remember correctly, but then again, I might be mixing up some Richard Ashcroft solo gigs or that. Yeah, I was... Uh, but uh, from what I can vaguely remember that night, Ashcroft done the drugs don't work in that acoustic with himself and the band. It's amazing though, because the importance of this album is you remember the gig you went to see them tour that. The mm. importance of the album for me, who, as you say, there's an age gap. The first single I ever bought, Virgin Megastores, 399, Lucky Man, made my mum take me in, knew exactly what I wanted before I went in the shop, went over to the, the chart sales. I would love to tell you I know what number it was at the chart, but at the time I did, I can't remember what his standing was. I don't know which week it was in the chart, but I was so obsessed with Top of the Pops and all that at this time. I literally took my mum. I said, we'll be in and out. And I had birthday money at the time. And we went in, bought the single, and knew exactly what number it would be in Virgin Megastores, picked it up and walked out with it. And that's the first single I ever bought directly in a shop. Now, I remember... Another important thing about Urban Hymns was I was allowed to stay up later at night 
when the Brit Awards were on, obviously the following March, because they're scooping awards. And I expected, because it was on the list that they were going to play live, but they do play live, but it's not in the ceremony. They cut mm -hmm. to them playing live at a gig. How do I remember all this? I have no idea. But someone can check it. I'm positive it's the 98 Brits. Because I remember them giving me special sort of, right, okay, you love this band, that's fine, you can stay up. But once they've been and played, you know, you're, you're hitting your bed because I'm still so young. And they were an award at the Brits, but it cuts them playing their song live at an actual gig that they're doing then, not at Brit Awards, not at the Brit Awards ceremony. There is a, to go back, that I found this recently on YouTube, um, and I might put it in the comments if I can find it. There's a live gig of of the Verfe 1993 in some Irish pub in Rochdale, where they basically right. do, where they basically did a whole of a storm in heaven, and it's a fantastic. Well, I can't even like them then. <laughs> uh, which is a fantastic gig. Uh, anybody should check it out. I'm all, there is a link to more than so because. There's an interview in Select magazine that I remember reading where Richard Ashcroft talks about this song that he's wrote. A More Than Souls just came out and he talks yeah. about the song that he's wrote has got the chorus because the drugs don't work and they just make you worse. And he thought, and, and it's quoted in Select and that was, wow. in, 19, and that was in 1995. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. You, you, you learned, uh, he says he didn't know the chart positions and all that. Uh, that. The drugs don't work go to number one. It did. That was a number one single. What knocked it off the chart? What what knocked it off the number one spot? Ninety-seven. And I think this is how that the drugs don't work has got a weird crossover appeal. Ninety-seven. No, when did the drugs don't work come out? Ninety. It came out in ninety-eight. 98 came out. It came out before the, the album came out. The album was Aye, September 27, 97. But by the time The Drugs Don't Work was released as a single, it was in the summer. No, the drugs, came, the drugs Don't Work was out before. Oh, oh this is tricky, Kev. Because I know Urban Hymns not be here now off the charts for number one. It did that, Yes. So are we going to link them back up together and say, do you know what I mean? Not the drugs don't work off number one? No. The drugs don't work was... I'm annoyed. The drugs don't work was knocked off by Elton John's Candle in the Wind because Princess oh, Diana on. snuffed it. Oh. But when the drugs don't work was released the day after if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, I might get us took off the air the day that uh, the Queen murdered Diana in a car, crash, gone through a Paris tunnel, or it was just, a, or, or it was just, a, sorry, just rewind that, rewind that, <laughs> uh, cut that off, um, or whatever. Uh, the day, I get what you're saying. I've seen the comment at the bottom, Kev. Aye. So, right. so, the drug, so the drugs don't work was released on the Monday after Diana died. So for me, that kind of captured the, the mood, prevailing mood of, ah. those, of those who are asked about these sort of things in the nation. And I, think that, and I think that made it a sort of crossover song. No, I think that makes total sense. Seen the comment at the bottom? Yes. 
It's not the first time I've disagreed with Kieran today. <laughs> I think I think he was making a lot of points that I disagreed with on the Axon Bulletin today, directed at one of the contributors, but I don't want to give him too much kudos for it if it was the same one. Um, I mean, to me, they're two of the biggest icons, as much as Noel Gallagher's someone in later life I don't like, I think they're, to me, two of the absolute biggest icons in the 90s that defined an era of music that is still um, resonating right now, 20-odd years later. But if it is the same Kieran I'm thinking of today, I won't miss. <laughs> oh, somebody's came in. I'm going to take back this comment. <laughs> I'm going to take back the comment I made. I was making a wee joke. Aye, but that's quite obvious that Princess Diana wasn't killed by the Queen because she was 95 years old. <laughs> that, that, that is extremely obvious. Um, I think a, a lot. I think a lot of these guys, when they get to that, uh, I'm going to bring in Joe Porter here because I think, I think he's got a point here. Okay. Where is it then? Oh, it's appeared. Usher is the biggest eater of the nineties. <laughs> well, uh, if I'm going to agree with Joe Porter, all I could say is yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that was his big song in the 2000s, wasn't it? Usher's no. Oh, you're it too cool. That. You would know that, Kev. Oh. I'm, 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 it's not crowd tonight, mate. But no, I. So Usher had a song called Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, in the 90s, that's when he came out. Uh, he was on top of the pops wearing, like, you know, like the, the hats the swimmers wear. Aye. You must remember that. He wore that on top of the pops. I do, I do. Um, aye, so Urban Hums. So there's two producers of Urban Hums. Um, yep. Two producers of Urban Hums, and I think you can see a difference in it. So Urban Hums is 13 songs long, right? Is there any songs that you would remove to make it... Uh, if you had to pick three songs to make it a 10-song album, I think every album should only be 10 songs. I think that's uh, perfect. That's that's me. I'm just old school. I think uh, that's, that's a very difficult question, though. I think to remove songs, what I would say to flip it a wee bit, Kev, because I like flipping it, as you know. Um, to pick your favourite songs that aren't the four biggest singles. You know, obviously we all know the hits: "Sonnet," "Drugs Don't Work," "Lucky Man." Bittersweet Symphony. What are your other like, songs that, you're, that you love on it? You know, what's like, your three songs? Is that not a more positive way that you would say the three best songs bar the four big singles? And you know like, what's incredible, Kev, right now? See, my kitchen, Radio X is on and Bittersweet Symphony has just started <laughs> and I'm not even joking. That's spooky. That's spooky. It's playing. I can hear it right now above the washing machine. Wow. I really, I really hope the uh, MI5 didn't actually break down my door because of my Queen comment. So, um, <laughs> Richard Arsenal. You'll be a lucky man that. if they don't. Oh, boom, boom, boom. I need space and time to escape. <laughs> so, that would be one of my three. Space right. and time. I think space and time has got very Jesus and Mary Chain vibes. Unbelievable um, track. I love it. Um, you're going to ask who claps their hands on it. That's Liam Gallagher, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
you also clap to hands on on a, on your own as well in a northern soul. Didn't know was that. It, or was it a history? It's one of them. There's hand claps when it's Liam Gallagher that's doing the hand claps. Wow. Uh, no, it's on your own. On your own. Own. No, that was Liam Gallagher yeah, as well. Liam Gallagher, there's a hand clap, hand claps on that. Right, rolling people, catching yep. the butterfly in space and time. So it's, for me, well, two out of the three were the same. And as Meatloaf would say, that's not too bad, ain't too bad. So I would say space and time, the rolling people, and this time, Mm, this time, right, right. I'll, I I'll love this time, mate. That. that that song to me is absolutely outstanding, a very underrated one. Velvet Morning's not far off as well. Paul comes I in. don't like talking about songs that should be removed. I like talking about the positives of the other songs because I think would you agree that maybe at times Urban M's is un, almost unfairly just you know synonymous with the four big singles. Yes, when when they came back for the fourth uh, the the fourth album, and they, they came back at that point, there was only folk there that weren't interested in them doing the ten minute verse and the uh, let the damage begin and man called son, and they were only there to hear so, uh, mm-hmm. sonnet and the drugs don't work and stuff like that. Uh, when, I, when I'm talking about songs that I would remove from the album, first one is Sonnet. I do not care if I ever hear Sonnet one, once oh, again. No. I see Richard Ashcroft, anytime Richard Ashcroft plays solo, I go and see him. He opens up with his new single and plays Sonnet right after that. I go to the blog. I, Why? I, I, I can't stand Sonnet. I would, Why? Chuck it, I would chuck it in the sea, man. Oh, no, no, that's because then you'd be floating without a hull. Uh, but no, that's that clever. But no, Sonnet is my favourite out of the four singles, even though Lucky Man's the first one I bought. Oh, I think no, of the moment no. in Sonnet when he says, here we go again, and my head is gone, that you watch a live crowd react to that moment of that song like no other difference in any of the songs he plays. So I would... I'm amazed we disagree so much on that. It's upset me, Kev. Sonnet's no, my favourite I didn't want to listen to Sonnet ever again. It's when I listened to this album the other day, I skipped it. I mean, I'm not listening to that. That is, that, that is just rubbish. Um, I'm going to bring Paul's point and keep the 13 tracks and add Soul Sister and Lord I Guess I'll Never Know. I love the Lord I Guess I'll Never Know. Amazing and I, would repl- track. I would replace Sonnet with that. Quite easily, I would, I would, I would chuck out Sonnet and put that in it. The other ones that I would take out is One Day. I would take out One Day as well. Uh, and Velvet Morning. I would take out Velvet Morning. Oh, no, I love it. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love Velvet Morning. Let's talk about the positives of the other songs, though. Space and Time, mate. That could Space- easily be one of the singles, eh? Definitely, space and time is for me. It sounds like the Jesus and Mary Chain. It's got that sort of Mary Chain vibe about it. Um, I love that song. I love Weeping Willow as well. Actually, my favourite songs on the album are the, they're the ones that are all produced by Chris Porter. That's interesting. Porter, now, sorry, reason... no Porter's Porter. Right. So no worries, no worries. But the re... <laughs> did he not play for Motherwell? Chris Porter. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
But the rolling people, oh. if I'm not mistaken, when I first ever got to see the verb, it was a, a privilege and it was a Tea in the Park 2008. And I'm sure they came out to the rolling people. The rolling people was all. Was this, this is music they came out to. I know, I'm sure he. This is music think, was always the one that they started with by the time. And they then the rolling, but when they played the rolling people, that was a tune that I had, as much as I loved Urban Hymns, I'd underappreciated till I seen that live gig in t- 2008. Richard Murray in the comments on the comment. Cheers. A, a nice a nice picture of Kafkin Park as well. There's a BBC Glastonbury gig after reformation, widely widely available on YouTube. That's essential. In fact, I'm watching it when you pair wrap up. Uh, as essential, it shows you the genius of Nick McCabe as a guitarist. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick McCabe's absolutely showcased that night. Uh, I loved the Verwind about this time. One last question. Do you think that's a Britpop album? Because it's no. class, uh, it definitely isn't it, you know? I've got no. no... I think this is a psychedelic rock album. That's what I say it is. I think um, it's... I suppose I find Britpop being a, a lazy tag at times uh, for bands, Kev. For me, it's definitely maybe, you know, which is a completely different show. But I don't class that's Britpop nonsense. Do you know what I mean? In fact, I don't even like... See, the more I've delved into bands that were classed as Britpop, I actually love identifying the geniuses behind the songs and what the songwriting technique is and going, do you know what? How insulted would you be to be one of these fantastic guitarists or songwriters at that time and just all getting banded together, lumped into one lazy sort of uh, collective and then thrown out there as that's what they are? Nonsense. These I've got... I've got, a, I've got a theory. Britpop started with Rides Twisterella in 1992 mm-hmm. and ended at Nebworth. That's, for me, that is the Britpop. Uh, there was also, it peaked at the Blood Oasis thing. It peaked then, and for that point, it was downhill. At that point, it was dead by the time they were on the 10 o'clock news and doing company house and that. And the zeitgeist moment, or oh, that's twice I've said zeitgeist tonight. That uh, is, that is. The zeitgeist moment of Britpop, the end of Britpop was never. That's just me. That, that, that's, that's my... How could you describe the largest freestanding gig of all time, the most demanded for ticket in British history, not of all time, but in the UK terms, the most demanded ticket of all time. I think it was something like one in 22 people applied for a ticket for Oasis at Nebworth. How could you ever describe that as something as generic as Britpop when that, to me, is a standalone, unique moment in music's history? And I find that would really insult me for that to be uh, tarred with uh, that, that's era the, of music that had a lot of other bands associated with it. That that's it. That's the peak. That's the height, and that's where it should. That's where it ends. And I think even well, Oasis. Is that, that to me? Is Nebworth Britpop or is it its own entity? Well, 
That's a show for another day, maybe. That is, that is. Well, even Oasis actually admit now that they probably should have took a big break after Nebworth. Another debate as well, which yes. I, I enjoy, by the way. I love this. But hey, how can we debate it when two members of the band say the exact same thing? Of and, course. And Bone heeds one of them. He says, I wish that either split up after Nebworth or took a massive break. And Knowles, <laughs> and, and Knowles actually says the exact same. Now, he says, looking back on it, he says, we yep. did a bit. But then they're fully there, whatever they were doing and riding on the crest of a wave. But for me, that's the Britpop period from 92 in Edward. Well, I get that. But I think for me, I look at it, look, when I look at music, Urban Heavens is an album up there that stands alone. I know it's after the Britpop period you describe anyway, mm-hmm. but I would never have tarred that with any other brush anyway because it's just, to me... It's such an album that means so much. I think it means so much to so many people. And of course, Kev, before we go, and I know we must be getting late, right? But we have to explain why we're talking about Urban Hymns, and you'll probably do it better than me. Yes. Uh, I'll bring Paul's comment. And Joe Guest dressed as a nurse, and the company house video was the, the epitome of Britpop. The verb was bona fide rock and roll. I think if you look at the albums in 1997, which dominated the end of year's list in 1997 was Urban Hymns, Ladies and Gentlemen, We're Floating in Space, Be Spiritualised, and OK Computer, Be Radiated. That's the three albums that dominated every end of year best list. And for me, not one one of them is Britpop. And even though sometimes they're all lazily termed as Britpop, these three albums broke new ground. Um... For, for, for me anyway. Aye, anyway, basically, if you're a subscriber to the channel, at the end of this month, you're actually going to go into a draw to win a, a, a picture frame and a gold disc to commemorate the Verve selling 2.1 million albums of Urban Hymns, the 18th biggest UK selling album of all time. It is, a fanta- it is a fantastic prize. And all you need to do is hit that subscribe button. It's an incredible prize. The way EMI awarded, you know, you're going... EMI, hi. You never, we never know how the boss man gets his hand on these things. But to think a viewer of a show like ours, I hope it's a Scream of Selica viewer, Kev, if I'm being honest here. Yeah, I hope it's my dad. I do. I hope it's my so dad. I mean, I hope it's a Scream of Selica watcher. I think... And he gives- that's the best hands to get it, man. I hope it's my dad. He gives it to me. <laughs> 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 uh, but some somebody's going to win a fabulous, fabulous prize, and we've got plenty of other fabulous uh, draws coming up. Yeah. And I say, what it only cost you a penny? All you do is subscribe to the YouTube channel, and you go into a, and you go into a draw. And it doesn't matter if you were one of the first ninety-seven that subscribed a year ago, or the final person that subscribes on eleven fifty-nine on the thirty-first of July. Everybody has the same chance of winning well, this ultimate prize. If it was a raffle, Kev, I would have to say now though. If your number was 97, you'd be feeling pretty confident because that seems to be the theme. Ah, I didn't realise that. There you go. You, that's been mentioned a couple of different ways now, so I'm like, wow. 90, you know, it's, it's all there, mate. 
Ah, there you go, there you go. I'm weird with numbers, man. I told you this. That, that's good. I like that. I like that sort of. I mean, Buttersweet Symphony was playing was playing on Radio X as we were talking about it. There was thunder and lightning out there, and like I, I'm, I, I'm into all of that. I'm into all of that. I'm, well, a way to me- I'm a way to meditate and see what, <laughs> I, see, see, see what I can feel in the afterlife. Um, right, I think that will do it, Russell. That's an hour and twenty five minutes. Uh, it. It's been great. It's been absolutely fantastic at a new time at seven o'clock. And everybody, peace, love, keep it screamer cellar, eh? See you all later. What's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.